Jennifer vanished sometime in the overnight hours. Right now, there is no trace. Investigators say evidence leads them to believe that she's dead. Stick my nose back on the trail. That's all I can do. This is already gone. Already gone. Already gone. From Alexander Hamilton to Bill Clinton, sex scandals have been of interest to the public for hundreds of years. Whether it's an affair that gets found out, or a person in power using their influence and position, allegations of sexual misconduct capture the interest and curiosity of the public. When the media attention dies down, those impacted go on about their lives. Some will move on figuratively, while others move on literally leaving the state or even the country for a fresh start, where past transgressions are not common knowledge, and they can regain a normal life. Come with me as we discuss the life, death, and alleged misconduct of a man known briefly as the Bill Clinton of Macomb County. James Scandarito, known as Skip, had been a Mount Clemens District Court judge in Michigan since 1991. Before being appointed as a judge, he had served on the Macomb County Board of Commissioners. Before that, he was a lawyer with a practicing license in Michigan and Florida. He was married to Therese Scandrito, known as Terry, and they had one son, James Jr., who was known as Jimmy. And Jimmy features heavily in this story, so to save any confusion, I'll refer to both men by their nicknames of Skip and Jimmy. While Skip worked as a judge, Terry ran her own company, TS Services, with Jimmy also working for the business. The company worked for the court to follow through on court orders, such as serving eviction notices and clearing properties that were ordered to be vacated. As TS Services was one of only two companies used by the court to perform these tasks, some felt that Skip was using his position to get his family company more work. In 2000, Skip resigned from the bench amid allegations that he had offered to help five women with charges brought before them in court. The women, charged with crimes such as writing bad checks and drunk driving, were allegedly offered leniency in exchange for sex. Four of the women turned the judge down. One of the women who rejected Skip's advances said she was offered an apartment, a cell phone, money, and her record expunged in exchange for having sex with Skip. However, one of these women felt immense pressure, and she agreed. The unnamed woman said she was effectively Skip's mistress for several months. In late 1998, the women started to come forward and complain about Skip's behavior, which was going back to 1995. In April of 1999, Skip was placed on paid leave pending an investigation into the alleged sexual misconduct. Placing judges on paid leave is standard practice as their position does not allow them to hold any other jobs, whether suspended or not. During the investigation conducted by the Michigan Judicial Tenure Commission, Skip agreed to waive the public fact-finding hearings and trial 
which meant the women could remain anonymous and not have their private business aired in a public forum. Three of the women had brought civil suits against Skip, which had been settled. Instead, Skip maintained that he didn't do anything wrong, but agreed to the issuing of findings of fact which, as per the Associated Press, concluded that he used his influence as a judge to proposition the women. The Michigan Judicial Tenure Commission was planning to hold a hearing to decide if they would petition the Michigan Supreme Court to remove Skip from his position. This outcome was highly likely, but before they could hold the hearing, Skip resigned. In a letter sent to the governor, the Michigan Bar Association, and the Michigan Supreme Court, Skip announced he was moving to Florida. The Tenure Commission had no choice but to dismiss the charges since he wasn't employed as a judge which is precisely the outcome Skip would have hoped for. Not keen to let Skip off scot-free, the commission said they would share their findings with the Florida Bar should Skip apply to practice law in Florida. Skip's license to practice in Florida had expired. To reapply, he would need to prove to the Florida Bar that he was a man of good moral character, which would be exceedingly difficult with five sexual misconduct allegations against him. In an open letter published January 11th, Skip asked for compassion and fairness from his colleagues and from the public. He said in the letter that while some of the accusations were true, others weren't, but he didn't expand on that statement. Very soon after his resignation, Skip and Terry moved to sunny Boca Raton, Florida. Skip was employed at the Florida Department of Children and Families as a senior trial attorney after failing to disclose why he left his position in Michigan. He also failed to inform his employer about the proceedings that continued in Michigan, resulting in his removal to practice law in the state. In 2003, when the department found out about Skip's past, his employment was terminated. He then went to work for an old lawyer friend as a paralegal position that did not require him to be a practicing lawyer. After he retired, Skip, who loved being outdoors, found work at the Ocean Breeze Golf Club Pro Shop. This job suited Skip, a keen golfer, and the kind of person who could initiate a conversation with anyone. Soon after his parents moved south, Jimmy felt the call of the Sunshine State and moved to Fort Lauderdale, where he rented an apartment just 20 miles from where his parents lived. Jimmy was married briefly to a woman from Brazil. After their divorce, Jimmy moved 30 miles north to Delray Beach, still within an easy drive of his parents where he rented a condo. Jimmy, who had worked in real estate, was struggling with a dwindling income, and in three years he'd gone from earning six figures to having just a few dollars to his name. According to friends, Jimmy loved the bachelor lifestyle. He reportedly had a stripper pole installed in the condo and started meeting women on SugarDaddy.com, even though he didn't have the bank balance to support a sugar baby. In 2016, Jimmy was unable to make payments on his car, and the vehicle was eventually repossessed. Money troubles seemed to follow Jimmy, and he'd been bailed out by his parents several times in the past. In 2007, his parents loaned him $4,500 to tide him over 
until the real estate consulting job started. In 2011, Skip and Terry gave Jimmy $10,000. As per an article by Oxygen, Terry was the driver behind helping Jimmy out with his finances. After Terry passed away from lung cancer in 2017, Skip was less willing to bail his son out to the extent that he was used to. Jimmy was given Terry's Prius after she passed away, and he used it to drive for rideshare companies. Skip paid the $400 worth of traffic tickets that Jimmy racked up, and he turned a blind eye to Jimmy using his mother's disability parking pass, but the large sums of money stopped. Jimmy was drowning in the debt that came from his inability to pay for his lavish lifestyle, and his mother was no longer around to help him out. So when 74-year-old Skip was reported missing in April of 2018, Police suspected 49-year-old Jimmy, who was the sole heir to his father's $800,000 estate, was involved. On March 31, 2018, an old friend of Skip's, Gary Gooden, who was visiting from Michigan, arrived at a golf course to meet Skip for a prearranged round. When Skip didn't show, Gary made his way to Skip's house, where he found that no one was home. He let himself in to wait for Skip since he had a key to the home. Gary, Skip, and Jimmy were supposed to watch a basketball game that afternoon at Skip's house. About three hours later, Jimmy arrived at his father's house, but Skip didn't show. Jimmy and Gary called Skip's cell phone, but the phone was off, and the calls went to voicemail. The next day, April 1st, Gary awoke at Skip's home, and his friend had still not returned. Worried, Gary started calling area hospitals in case there'd been an accident or a medical emergency. When he could not find Skip, he filed a missing persons report. However, reports conflict as to who actually filed the report if it was Gary or Jimmy. After receiving the report, police interviewed Jimmy. According to Jimmy, he and his father had met and played a round of golf on March 28th. According to Oxygen, Jimmy told investigators that Skip met a woman on the golf course and made plans to go kayaking with her. After golf, the men went for dinner and returned to Skip's home for drinks. Jimmy said the men were toasting his mother, Terry, whose birthday was the following day, March 29th. This was the first birthday they would mark without her. Jimmy said he slept over at his dad's house, and the next day Skip said he was going to Miami to watch tennis with a friend. Jimmy said he went back to his condo, but returned to his father's home later that day to clean the garage, at his father's request. Jimmy claimed that he took his father's car because it had more room in it, and Skip drove Jimmy's car. Jimmy said he got back to his dad's place around 7 that evening, and Skip wasn't there. Jimmy slept over again and said Skip arrived back the next morning, but did not say where he'd been all night. Jimmy said that Skip left to go kayaking with the mystery woman from the golf course, but then he never returned. Jimmy didn't have much information about the woman, just that she'd been at the golf course and she was in her 60s. The Boca Raton Police Department started searching the many waterways in the area, worried there had been some kind of accident or medical event on the water that had prevented Skip from returning home. 
Police eventually found Skip's vehicle at Knowles Park, located in the Delray Beach area, near a boat ramp they could have used to enter the water. Video footage of the area showed the same make and model car entering Knowles Park the day before, and the water searches continued to no avail. In an attempt to find the mystery woman, police checked the records at the golf club but didn't find anyone who had signed in that was missing. They also checked missing persons reports for the area, thinking the woman would be reported missing when she didn't show up at her home, but no missing persons report matched the mystery woman's description. Police, suspicious of Jimmy's account of what had happened to his father, arranged to have him under surveillance. Listeners, things are not adding up. They believed there was more to the story than what Jimmy was telling them. During his conversations with the police, Jimmy said he had access to his father's banking information, and he could see there had been no activity on the card since his father had been reported missing. When investigators took a look, they found transactions from March 28th to March 30th, but nothing on his cards after that. They checked store security footage to verify one of the transactions from a grocery store and found that Jimmy was the one using the card. He'd use the card to buy duct tape, garbage bags, and cleaning products. Records also showed that Jimmy had attempted to withdraw nearly $10,000 from his father's account and had succeeded in withdrawing almost $1,500 from a different account. Then they found a Home Depot receipt in Skip's car for a hand truck and a gas can. Investigators asked Jimmy about the receipt, which was time-stamped at 6.06 a.m. on March 29th, and they asked why Skip would have been at the store so early. Jimmy said he was the one that made the purchase and needed the items to go with a pressure washer he was taking to his condo in Fort Lauderdale, something that didn't make any more sense to investigators than it does to me. Jimmy explained the receipt was in Skip's car, not his own car, because they'd swapped vehicles and said it must have fallen onto the floor of Skip's car without him noticing. When they checked Skip's cell phone records, they found the phone had moved between his home, Jimmy's home, and the golf course he worked at, which had since been closed down and was abandoned. On April 3rd, investigators obtained a warrant that allowed them to search Skip's home. In the garage, they found the hand truck purchased at Home Depot with blood on it, as well as a spot on the flooring that appeared to have been recently cleaned. Inside the home, Skip's medication was on the counter, medication he had to take daily to manage his heart condition. When the medication was counted, it was discovered that he had missed six doses. Police surveillance paid off when, in the early hours of April 4th, Jimmy was seen entering the grounds of the Ocean Breeze Golf Course. You know, the course Skip used to work at, which had since closed down, around 3.30 a.m. Reports here differ. Some say that he entered the grounds with a small bag. Others say he entered empty-handed. Either way, reporting agrees that when Jimmy left the golf course 90 minutes later, he was carrying a suitcase and had changed clothes. Jimmy was seen throwing the suitcase into a dumpster before leaving the area. Investigators retrieved the suitcase. Inside, they found signs of death, clothing covered in blood, 
maggots, and the stench of decomposition. When the sun rose, investigators were able to search the course, and they quickly located partial human remains buried in a sand trap. Inside two garbage bags were his upper and lower torso, but the rest of his body was not found on the course. The ponds and the water hazards were searched, and a shovel assumed to be the one used to dig the shallow grave was recovered. While these were assumed to be the remains of Skip Scanderito, the usual methods of identifying victims were off the table. They had no head and no arms, so dental records and fingerprints were not an option. Skip, who had a history of heart problems, had undergone a procedure that required surgical wires to be used in his chest. The serial number on the wires was used to confirm identity. A medical examiner listed the cause of death as homicide by unspecified means. There just wasn't enough left of his body to determine how he had died. The coroner, a Dr. Reinhard Mott, later said, It's the circumstances that lead you to think homicide in that kinds of cases. Somebody who dies a natural death isn't taken and chopped into pieces, you know. They take the body parts and hide them to conceal them. They're doing that for a purpose. And I can use that kind of information to draw my conclusion. Dr. Mott continued, saying there was evidence of cardiac damage, and if the corpse had been left whole, he might have drawn a different conclusion about the cause of death. At some point after Jimmy left the golf course, the surveillance team lost him, and his whereabouts were unknown for several days. Police eventually found him five days later when he was pulled over near Alachua County, 300 miles north of Delray Beach, for having dark tint on his car windows. During the traffic stop, it was discovered that the plates on the car were stolen, and there was a warrant out for Jimmy's arrest. When authorities searched the vehicle, they found two passports, one from the United States and one from Brazil, along with plans for a trip to the Dominican Republic. When his computer was searched, there was evidence that he had been looking up countries that did not extradite to the U.S. Jimmy was taken into custody and charged with the first-degree murder of his father and the abuse of a corpse. He was held in jail in Gainesville, Florida, until investigators from Palm Beach County arrived to interview him and transport him to a South Florida jail. Jimmy's case was heard by a grand jury who found enough evidence to suggest Jimmy had killed his father. Jimmy was indicted on April 19th and held without bail, awaiting arraignment and trial. Jimmy's lawyer informed the media that Jimmy would enter a not-guilty plea for the murder charge. The trial began Friday, September 11th in the Palm Beach County Circuit Court. The prosecution worked to convince the jury that the evidence pointed to only one conclusion, that Jimmy had killed and dismembered his father. The motive, they said, was money. Jimmy had only a few dollars left to his name, and his father was not bailing him out anymore. The prosecution suggested that on March 28th, after a round of golf, Jimmy and Skip got into an argument about money that turned deadly. Jimmy's defense presented a different explanation. They said Jimmy and Skip had been partying together after a day of golf, drinking, and doing drugs. Jimmy went outside to have a cigarette, 
and came back inside to find his father collapsed on the floor next to a plate of cocaine. They pointed out that Skip had a history of heart problems and had undergone a triple bypass operation after a heart attack. In a panic, thinking his father had died from a cocaine overdose, Jimmy decided to cover up the death to avoid police finding the drugs and pressing charges for possession. He went to Home Depot to purchase the handcart as soon as they opened and used the cart to transport his father's body to the garage. Jimmy dismembered his father using a handsaw, then disposed of his head and limbs in the dumpster at a nearby condo, then he buried the torso and upper legs at a golf course. They insisted that Jimmy was guilty only of abuse of a corpse and not guilty of murder. Shortly after the trial started, lead defense attorney Elizabeth Ramsey was hospitalized. She was not expected to be released from the hospital for around a week, let alone be fit to continue the trial, so the judge declared a mistrial. When the subsequent trial started in early 2019, the defense and prosecution presented the same information as they had before the mistrial. The prosecution said that Jimmy killed his father and then dismembered and hid the body in an attempt to inherit his father's estate and solve his money problems. For the defense, they contended that there was insufficient evidence for a jury to find Jimmy guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. In an unorthodox strategy, the defense admitted that Jimmy lied, and it was easy to hate him for what he did to his father. In the defense's closing arguments, they implored the jury to find Jimmy not guilty of the murder. For the prosecution, in their closing arguments, they reminded the jury that a reasonable person would call the police and that Jimmy had acted like a guilty man when he covered up his father's death in such a gruesome way. The jury deliberated and returned their verdict, not guilty of murder, but guilty of abuse of a corpse, a crime that carries a 15-year term in Florida. However, a pre-sentence investigation indicated the sentence handed down could be as little as 21 months. Jimmy's lawyers asked for him to be sent to rehab instead of prison and asked that he be enrolled in a two-year program. They said Jimmy had abused drugs and alcohol for more than 30 years and that, as a well-educated person, he could be rehabilitated and be a contributing member of society again. The defense said that if the treatment program was not deemed suitable, they hoped that Jimmy would be sentenced to time served. The prosecution, they asked that Jimmy be sentenced to the maximum sentence, and Skip's family members agreed. The judge agreed with the prosecution and handed down the maximum sentence allowed for the crime, 15 years in prison. Skip's niece and Jimmy's cousin, Ellie Sandrito, spoke at the sentencing, saying Jimmy, who she referred to as the defendant, had received enough leniency, and it was time for him to face the consequences of his actions. Ellie continued that the family did not have the chance to bury all of Skip's remains. An extended family had been left to deal with the aftermath of Jimmy's actions. After Jimmy's sentencing, the Scandrito family faced another struggle. Who would inherit Skip's estate, which was worth $800,000? Had Jimmy been found guilty on the murder charge, 
he would not have a claim to the money due to the Slayer Statute, which prevents anyone from profiting from a murder that they have committed. In that case, the estate would go to Skip's next of kin, his sister. However, since Jimmy was found not guilty of the murder, it was possible he could still inherit the estate. As of this recording, the case is still making its way through probate court and the outcome is yet to be decided. Jimmy Scandrito is incarcerated at the Graceville Correctional Facility in Graceville, Florida. His current release date is in 2032, when he is 63 years old. I'm Nina Instead, the producer and voice behind the Already Gone podcast. I appreciate you listening, and please, be safe. Be safe.